Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. And today I have an internationally well-known, preeminent expert, not just in sales and marketing and leadership, but in communication and peak performance. Uh, This gentleman has has been well-known for decades now in the space of sales, sales enablement, growth, maximizing potential in people far beyond what they thought was possible. Uh, you know, Mr. Gerhard Schwander, and I've known Gerhard for a few years now, and I've always thought he'd be a great guest to have on the show. So, Gerhard, welcome to the Driving Change Podcast. It's an honor to have you, my friend. Jeff, it's an honor to be with you today. Now, let me tell you guys a little bit about Gerhard. And um, one of the things I think is just amazing to me, he's the founder of Selling Power Magazine. And you can go on there and, and, and view it and be a part of Selling Power at sellingpower.com. And I don't know that I have full appreciation for how hard it is to build something from scratch like that digital magazine and what it's become. And most of the preeminent sales leaders and executives and marketing leaders around the world follow uh, Selling Power as kind of their Bible for innovation and information. And I just, I I love that you've been able to build that thing from scratch to where it is today. We'll get into that a little bit, but I wanted the audience to know that. Um, you've also, you've, you started sales 3.0 conferences, which means that you probably started it back to when it was 1.0. And as you've evolved that conference, it's become very, very popular and, and then t- attended by over 3000 plus leaders annually. And you've gotten into the virtual version of that. So now you've got so many international sales leaders and marketing leaders in, in that as well. We could go on and on and on, but I can tell you that he's interviewed just hundreds and hundreds of, of really high quality people in his videos which we'll point you to at the end. And he's just a wealth of knowledge. I think we're all going to learn a lot from Gerhard today. So excited to, to have you on. Wow. That's an impressive beginning. Well, you got a lot to live up to now. You got to actually deliver on all that, all those accolades I gave you. So the audience knows I always start with the same question. So let us get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your origin story. Take us back to the beginning and then and, and tell us kind of maybe who influenced you the most early in your life and your journey to where you, you are today and why you're so passionate about helping people. I think it was my grandmother. She ran a country in outside of Salzburg. That's the city of Salzburg in Austria. And uh, she was a waitress uh, and she saved her money uh, to lease a country inn that she ultimately purchased with the profit she made as she was running it. And I always admired her. She, I, uh, as a kid, I had a list. Like at a, a age uh, seven, I made a list what I want to do. Uh, the first goal was like a hot dog stand. Uh, the second um, item on the list was create a newspaper, and uh, the third was to have a business like my grandmother. And um, I did not never achieve the goal of having a hot dog stand, but I could. I still like hot dogs. That's well, I mean, you've, you've outdone yourself on the newspaper front. I think with selling power, I think you accomplished that goal. Right. So your grandmother was just a natural entrepreneur. It sounds like. Yeah. She, she was a networking genius. She uh, uh, always was able to read the room, get people together, introduce people to each other. 
And I looked up to her and I thought she has a wonderful talent when somebody comes in and says, well, um, I need a, a tractor to, to bring in the wood that I cut in the forest. And she says, well, walk over to Peter and uh, he has a new tractor. I'm sure you can, you know, barter something. And uh, so she was helping people out by uh, giving them the knowledge they needed. And she was like a, a little mini news organization in the, in the village. She knew everybody. She was LinkedIn before LinkedIn was LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And isn't it funny? Cause I think I shared this with you when we talked last about growing up on a farm with my papa and you know, you pick it up, you pick up so many behaviors intuitively uh, subconsciously from those who you admire growing up and you don't always realize how important those beliefs and values are until you're a little bit older and you get a chance to reflect back on why am I, why am I a connector or why am I a problem solver or why am I filling the blank? And many times taking a chance to reflect back on it. I think it's very honoring of those who came before I think us. It, it would be a good idea to uh, sort of share, like uh, you talk about neuroscience and I talk about the mindset and uh, the mindset to me is like a pyramid. Um, at the bottom of the pyramid is the implanted mindset. Um, that is what you learn as a kid uh, when you uh, get exposed to people like my grandmother or uh, your parents or relatives. They implant the seeds of your behavior and your thinking and your mindset. But then when you go to the next level, the second level is the imprinted mindset. That's what you learn from mentors, from, from teachers, from professors, from friends, from people that impress you. They make an impression and you look at their success and look at their behavior and say, maybe I should integrate some of that into my mindset. And I think there's a third level that is the most important and not often discussed part, which is the inspired mindset. Uh, people walk around with dreams every day and they don't uh, acknowledge them. They don't honor those dreams. When I interviewed Mary Kay Ash a long time ago, she said, Gerhard, so many people die with their music still unplayed. And that's sad. People walk around with dreams of uh, being more independent, being more successful. Um, you know, dreams are important parts of your life. And when, you, when I translate that to, to sales, um, I recommend to sales leaders out there, to not just talk about the goals that salespeople need to achieve in order to earn their keep, and not to just talk about their sales goal, but create a wall of dreams in the office where every salesperson can sort of visualize and share with others what they want to achieve as a person. And we have done it with one company that literally tripled sales in one year. Uh, there was one guy who said, uh, I want to have a, um, a house in uh, a vacation home for the family in Galveston, Texas. Somebody else says, I, I wanted to rent a Airbnb in Umbria for a month with my children so they can see where my grandfather grew up. Um, or somebody says, I want to have a weekend on a, on a dancey boat, on a speedboat. Or some an, another uh, sales rep said, I want to go heli skiing in Alaska and I want to earn enough money so I can bring my brother. And, and those are the dreams that stimulate higher performance. 
that stimulate more creativity and and there's sort of a validation from the company's perspective that people are important, but what's more important than people are their dreams. Oh, I couldn't agree more. If if, if Dr. Dan on our team were here, he, he'd give you a virtual hug. He's so big into that. And in his work with his dissertation, we found that one of the most driving forces of success was this idea of a shared vision and the people that the employees don't always get a chance to express that and leaders don't pull it out of them. They never ask. And so they become an employee who does transactions as opposed to yeah, someone who's got a shared vision, who's trying to pursue, pursue that vision. So let, let me- There's another, another issue that people need to be aware of that the implanted mindset is not always all roses. Uh, uh, imagine the implanted mindset is is like a garden where there are flowers and there are weeds. And your job is to look back and say, I'm going to continue to water the flowers, but I will stop watering the weeds. Mm, and we got a lot of weeds and a lot of bases of pyramids out there, people's in, implanted mindset, right? A lot of trauma. And sometimes that really negatively impacts the way we show up today in all of our relationships. Well, and that's exactly right, because NIH did a study on uh, how the mind works, and uh, they found that people experience about 60,000 thoughts a day, and 80% of those thoughts are negative. So we need to learn first that we can become aware of our negative thoughts. We can become aware how they negatively impact our decisions and how we feel. And we can translate negative thoughts in a way that they become less important where our dreams take priority. So let's, let me review that pyramid again with folks. I think it was very powerful. Is that your creation? Is that one of your, that's a, that's a Gerhard special. I like it. So the, the, ba- the base is implanted and then the next level is imprinted. And that's the influence as you get older, people around you start to influence some of those things. And then the top was envision. Is that what you said? Inspired. I'm sorry. Yeah. Inspired, which is about the vision, having the vision uh, of the dream, which that's, that's powerful. That's very, very powerful. There's, there's also something about the the top of the pyramid. Uh, I just did an interview with an analyst at Forrester in in, uh, Nancy Melusa, and she was uh, examining uh, how companies become more successful. And she found that when the leaders um, create a purpose-driven organization where they are all clear about the mission, but also about the meaning of their work. So um, those companies are far more successful than companies that have only as a sole purpose of making money. And there's been so much great work in that field that you would think that companies would already have adopted enough cultural philosophies to change it, but they don't. Why don't they? Do they not believe the data? They just don't know how. They're not always aware. I, I give you an example. I uh, just interviewed Keith Crack, who uh, has been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for his work as Undersecretary of State. And he has discovered when, you know, as a huge Silicon Valley background, uh, as the co-founder of Ariba and CEO of DocuSign. And uh, he uh, was not aware 
that the the U.S. government does not have enough people from the private sector that understand technology and how technology can be weaponized. And he discovered that the Chinese tried to weaponize 5G by trying to make this a control instrument to control the whole world. And he formed an alliance with 61 different countries to counteract that and prevent China from having a monopoly and a controlling um, sort of mechanism where it could control the world. And he prevented that. So he he definitely, in my book, he, he deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. But what he said is that so many CEOs in Silicon Valley or so many CEOs in other companies do not make the connection to that um, insidious influence that uh, other non-democracies have on business. So it's not just about going green. It's not a, not just about conserving energy, but also it meaning and purpose is preserving democracy. Do you think that a lot of times in a real practical level inside of organizations, because leaders, you know, kind of the monkey see monkey do, right? You, 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 you grow up in an organization, it's very transactional and you get promoted by performing and hitting goals and metrics that are very transactional. And so you tend to coach, instead of coach, you tend to manage and you create a culture where it's about showing up and punching the clock and time in the saddle and, and hitting the scoreboard and, and never have that culture of, of the, the shared vision. You think it's a, just because it's almost a self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy of managing versus leading and coaching because they just have never, they've never, they've never seen it. Yeah, I think the, you're describing a symptom. Um, I think the cause is really that people do not continually expand their horizons, um, meaning um, that a, a good leader uh, or a good manager, they have their, their nose against the grindstone, but their eyes on the horizon. And as a leader, you want to extend the horizon line. You want to know what's beyond that mountain range that's in front of you. And in order to have that vision, you need to engage with a lot of other people from different backgrounds, from different countries, from different disciplines. So uh, you, if, if you are just hanging out with scientists, you look at the world only through the lens of science uh, and you forget humanity. Uh, so you need to have diversity of thought, but also you need to expose yourself to the kind of thinking that, uh, for example, Elon Musk is engaged in. Uh, he, he definitely sees that we are an interplanetary species. What a wonderful concept that uh, we, he, he envisions, uh, you know, 10,000 people living on Mars permanently. And we have shuttle traffic between the two planets. Well, and, and you know, speaking of him, we talk a lot. I, I talk a lot in my keynotes too about being a divergent thinker and what that means. And Elon Musk, he attributes his creativity and innovation to first principles reasoning all the way back to Aristotle, right? And that idea that how he approaches a big problem is not with the conventional thinking of the box that's been created to solve it prior. And I think so many managers today, they inherit a box and then they're trained in a box 
and then they just live in the box. And so they therefore don't have any idea how to, how to create a vision. And that my question around that for you is, is it because I know part of it's just, it's ingrained and it's, it's trained the wrong way, but isn't a big other part of it that you, you mentioned the 60,000 thoughts and 80% of them are negative or 60% of them are negative. Um, is it because we're afraid to take risks because we have cultures that if you take a risk and you fail, you get your head lopped off? I think it's it's also a lack of curiosity uh, where people uh, look at possibilities and, and they may be afraid that this is too daunting. Uh, I remember going back to, to the country and my grandmother, uh, I was asking her, you know, where does that little river go? Uh, you know, it flows always in the same direction. Where does it go? And she said, oh, well, it goes in the Salzach River. And where does the Salzach River go? And, and she said, well, it goes in the Danube. And where does the Danube go? That's a bigger river. Oh, it goes to the Black Sea. I said, well, where does the Black Sea go? Well, that it connects with the Atlantic Ocean. And I said, what's on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean? And she says, America. And I said, if I have a little boat, can I go to America from, from our house? And she said, well, technically, yes. And that's where she sparked that dream that I could end up in the United States. Yeah, but you had almost an ingrained curiosity, though, that, that I think as children, we know the data shows we all have. We all start off as a curiosity, innovative, divergent thinkers. But you just happen to have a sage in your life who nurtured that curiosity, which got you to say that I want to keep asking those big questions and being curious. Right. Why do we not ask those questions? Now, I'm making a very broad statement that no one asks them anymore in corporate America. But we really, to the extent that innovation is not happening to the extent it could, many of our sales leaders and marketing leaders today don't ask those big questions and don't have the curiosity. What do you, what do you think inhibits it? Yeah, I think that it is hard to be number one. Um, it's hard to duplicate your success. It's hard to uh, be a serial uh, entrepreneur. Um, I remember doing an interview with um, a vice president of General, no, of Ford Motor Company. They were number one, and we did a cover story on them. And uh, this VP of marketing, he he sort of uh, put his hand behind his back and he says, looked out the window and he says, God, it's so hard to be number one. I said, why? And he says, we don't have anybody to chase. And that worries me. Because we have achieved the impossible. And the only alternative is to be number two. So think about, think about we talked about Elon Musk, General Motors, Ford Motor Company, Chrysler for 100 years. They have innovated just about everything except the engine. And here's Elon Musk and said, why don't we have an electric engine? And that was a game changer. And that kind of innovative thinking is going to disrupt a lot of old um, industries. General Motors, uh, they were the biggest company in the world. And even the U.S. president said, what's good for General Motors is good for the country. And today, General Motors is a $62 billion company. And Tesla is a $750 billion company. It's amazing, isn't it? <clears throat> well, let's, let's, let's bring it down to a personal level then for, for we'll talk about salespeople. We can talk about it, anybody inside a company. But I know when, when I started Brain Trust, I tried to take the Elon Musk approach of 
first principles reasoning. I said sales training and sales enablement's always been done a very specific way for as long as I can remember. And, and it was very much, here's the box and here's how you think about training sales professionals and sales processes. And you put them into a process and you teach them how to do a needs analysis and you teach them how to ask a bunch of questions and teach them how to present the product and teach them how to feature and benefit. And so I'm like, we're not doing any of that because I don't think that even works very well. And so we kind of blew the box up and said, if you look at how the brain is actually built, we have to start with a whole new mindset and a vision around how could you be someone who is actually as educated about your customer's problems as you are about what you sell, your product, and then build the model from there. When you think about innovation in sales enablement today, particularly in the world of sales training, what do you, what do you see and where do you see it going? Well, I think the, the term sales enablement is going to shift again. Uh, it was uh, brand new seven years ago. Uh, it is aging now. Uh, it has matured. I think sales enablement is going to morph into revenue enablement. Uh, that, that's that's my perception. But going back to the the nitty gritty of sales, I think that uh, uh, there is there was a, a guy named uh, Joe Ninivaji. Uh, he sort of cre- created a, a metaphor, a visual metaphor, for what's needed to be successful in sales. And he says there's process and there's methodology and there's skills. And the process are like the yard lines on the football field. Um, the methodology is the playbook. And, and the skills are the, you know, the, the games you play, the, the block and tackle. And uh, when you look at any sales organization, the, the challenges are always uh, three that come to my mind. Uh, it's about people, it's about processes, and it's about technology. And people are the biggest uh, piece of the puzzle uh, because it takes a lot of skill to hire the right person, the right salesperson, for the right customer to create customer success. It's, it's difficult to onboard them in a shorter period of time. That's where sales enablement technology can help accelerate uh, that, that process. And then uh, once you have people on board, you want to compensate them well and keep them and avoid the drift and, and avoid the A players from leaving the company. So you want to tie them to the company. And then you have processes. And most companies start out with great processes, but then as they grow, um, there's drift. And uh, people don't master the process anymore. And they don't get retrained. And then there's the bigger piece that is so confusing, which is technology, because there is Salesforce.com or Siebel or SAP, uh, and uh, there are you know, probably 200 CM solutions on the market. But there are 5,000 technology that support sales that all claim that you can have a more productive Salesforce uh, if you have uh, an RFP proposal generator, if you automate lead generation, if you uh, use video in the sales process. So there are so many technologies and Sales leaders are confused. Uh, I cannot invest in 5,000. I may be able to invest in 15. Which 15 do I want? And then you look at this for every one of those three things. You need a different degree of intelligence. When you deal with people, you need EQ, emotional intelligence. When you deal with process, uh, processes, you need uh, you deal with science and, uh, and, and logistics. And when you deal with technology, Nobody has yet to uh, has come up with a tool 
to appraise the quality of the technology that's actually in your company right now and what the ROI is for each technology. So we need a technology IQ kind of person or a committee in the organization to weed out what doesn't work, what is not used, and to get in uh, by the, the technology that's going to help you reach your goal. Yeah, do you find it at all ironic? So we use the term, I love that you say it's shifting to revenue enablement, the, the concept of sales enablement. And inside that, if you put in the buckets you said, is you know sales process, a methodology, skills, skills training. And then you layer all this technology on top of all this. And a lot of the big companies we work with, if you go and interview the salespeople, they'll tell you they hate the technology. They don't want to be any, they don't want to, it's, it's confusing or, or it's administratively burdensome. And they have all a million reasons. Now, part of it's apathy because we know salespeople sometimes have apathy. But part of it, they're right. Like they've been given so many different tools to enable better sales, but yet they lack the actual skills to have an impactful customer conversation. So where do you find the balance between the enablement of tools and technology and process and the skill of actually teaching people how to act and behave in front of a customer? Because that's where the rubber truly meets the road, is it not? Well, you do an audit of any company and analyze how much time salespeople spend learning technology, going through the, the motions, you know, and, and not absorbing it 100% and fumbling around. And then you look at how much time is spent on selling skills training, how much time is spent on coaching, uh, group coaching or individual coaching, how much time is spent on mentoring the salesperson, um, how much uh, time do uh, companies spend on ensuring that salespeople are actually happy? Because you ask people, salespeople, to create a happy customer, and you cannot do that with unhappy salespeople or unhappy managers. Right. That's the emotional contagion effect, right? You're gonna, you're gonna have. Well, that's the thing I, I think is fascinating to me on the hive mind mentality here. Is if I told a, a CSO today. You have $1 million to spend, and you can spend it on enablement tools, process technology, or you can, you can spend it on skills training and coaching, but you can only spend it on one or the other. Which one do you think they would pick? I, th I think you, uh, you want to reward salespeople um, for their performance. And uh, I would uh, invest 80% in performance enhancing people skills and 20% in performance enhancing technology tools. And see, the problem is it's flipped in, in, in a lot of ways, right? And now we're spending 80% of our budgets on tools, technology, systems, processes that change by the, by the quarter. And we're spending the, the less amount on the development and the reward, right? Well, it's the same in society. You know, uh, the U S spends trillions of dollars on, uh, um, equipment to uh, for, for the military. And uh, so to win a war, there is a multi-trillion dollar investment. How much money is spent and invested in making peace? Yeah, preventing the war to begin with, right? Not, not, not much. Not much. So if there, if there was a better methodology, a better process for negotiating peace between uh, countries that are at war, we would have fewer wars. 
Yeah, very, very true. Uh, you know, it's also, if you think about how people process information, I think when I talk to sales leaders and I say, hey, why don't you, why don't you invest more money into that area of your company? Many of them don't believe that it actually has any impact. They say, well, we've tried this training or that training. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about training. I'm talking about purely developing your people. Um, they don't think it works. And the reason they don't think it works is because in many cases is that it hasn't because they haven't done it correctly. Right. So you, you need to have uh, people intelligence, process intelligence, technology intelligence, all aligned and be in sync for one purpose, to create more happy customers. I loved your comment, though, you know, the, the great irony, we want to create more happy customers, but we have miserable sales teams, right? And what are you doing to create happy sales teams? And there's a lot you can be doing. And Gallup does the research year over year over year, right? And it's still the number one reason people leave a company. They don't leave the company, they leave their manager. And it's the same thing in sales, right? We have terrible managers and who aren't good coaches. And I know I'm using a lot of hyperbole and negative terms because there's a lot of really good ones out there as well. Um, I'm just so passionate about creating cultures of people doing, yeah. you know. I, I think there, there's also a mindset issue on the part of the leader that leaders wear out. You know, they uh, come with uh, good intentions into a new company. They um, put the right people together and, uh, and then they suffer disappointment and uh, they uh, get sort of, uh, into a survival hunker down mode instead of thinking, how can I create with my team a breakthrough idea that uh, where we innovate our sales approach, where we innovate our sales story, where you, we innovate the way we deal with customers, where we actually bring the customers in and ask them, um, what would you like us to do that will make your life easier? And, uh, you know, a lot of companies say they are customer focused and they don't even do a, a win-loss review to learn from their mistakes. Yeah, well, we, we like to think we're customer focused, but due to self-preservation and poor training, we're almost always inwardly focused, aren't we? So, so tell us, I know we only have a little bit of time here left. I want to make sure we tell, you've got a, a big conference coming up here in June 13th, 14th, your sales 3.0 conference in Philadelphia. Tell the audience, is it too late to sign up? Can people still sign up and go to that? Tell us a little bit about that. There's still a few spaces left. Um, we will be at the beautiful Logan Hotel. Uh, it's a former Four Seasons property with a, a wonderful terrace, a beautiful ballroom. Uh, we have 25 world-class speakers. Uh, people like Anthony Ian Arena are going to be there. And uh, the king of sales, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer, is going to do a session and uh, we have the um, that psychologist from the Toronto Raptors who uh, is going to talk about the principles of peak performance and winning more games uh, in, in your personal life and also in, in business. And uh, we have Nancy Maluso from Forrester. We have uh, Jennifer Stanley from uh, McKinsey and Company. So we have a lot of really bright minds that share their hard-earned lessons on what it takes to win in a sales organization and to win in business and in life. And uh, people can network with about uh, 200 senior sales leaders that are going to be there live. At the same time, we broadcast that and we have another audience of about 
a thousand people from uh, 60 countries worldwide. So we could join virtually as well. So you could uh, still get some seats. Yeah. And is this for individual contributors or mostly for sales leaders and sales managers or both? Uh, just for sales leaders, director level. Perfect. Excellent. So if you're listening out there, I know we have several that are, that are and maybe you've been part of following Gearheart and, and selling power and you already know about sales 3.0. But if you've not, I really strongly encourage you to attend because these are the brightest minds in this space all coming together in one place and talking about big ideas and lessons learned. So I think they'll pick up a lot of value. So tell the audience also, if those who may not subscribe to Selling Power magazine, what's the premise of it and what can they learn by being in that tribe? Well, I think it's a good idea for salespeople to go to sellingpower.com and uh, sign up for the magazine. Uh, it is $29 a year. Uh, however, I give you a code, free SP the word free and SP like initials for selling power is the code that you put in and you get it for free for a year. Well, there you go. You can't be free. Uh, now where can folks go to, we'll have this on the link obviously too. Where can they go to register for the sales 3.0 conference? What's that link? It's sales three O C O N F conf.com. That's pretty easy to remember as well. Well, as we wrap up on uh, Gerhard, we're just scratching the surface. We didn't really get into a ton of the, the psychology and the mindset and a lot of the things that you and I share in common with passions. But uh, do you have any, any closing thoughts for sales leaders or even salespeople out there as we move into this post, post-COVID world and people are starting to come back together again and we're having live meetings? And what, what could you do to encourage us to, to maybe focus in on the top of our pyramid as we leave? Yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, never give up on your dreams. Uh, it's never too late, as Dr. Wendaya said, to have a happy childhood or to have a happy existence, uh, you are the one who makes you happy. So you want to pursue what makes you happy. Uh, the third thing is that we are facing economic headwinds. Uh, there are rumblings about a recession. Uh, you know, there is uh, a inflation going on that's uh, order of 8.2%. Everything is more expensive. Um, and there are certain companies that have layoff plans. So um, be prepared for disappointment. However, the great salespeople out there, they always realize that success depends on three factors. The right mindset, the right skill set, and the right tool set. That's awesome. Now, if uh, for those who might miss the Sales 3.0 conference, I believe you've got things coming up in the fall as well, don't you, that we can look forward to? We have a virtual conference coming up uh, August 10th and 11th. Excellent. Well, it was, uh, it was awesome. I, we have to have you back on again and go deeper on some of these topics. I know it felt like the time flew by today. We really appreciate you coming on. And for those listening, jump into Selling Power and jump into the conference and uh, follow Gearhart and follow his interviews. He's a brilliant man and uh, someone that everyone in this industry looks up to. So thank you for being on the Driving Change podcast. And I want to thank you, Jeff, for doing all that you do to elevate the sales profession. My pleasure. Thanks. We'll see you soon. Hey, friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, 
astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in life. We've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.